Thank you, Amber. That was great. Some real life experience when you have to keep going when you, <laughs> when you thought they were up here already. And that last song works really well with our, um, some of our themes. So our first songs that we're going to sing is um, concentrating on God's faithfulness to us. So let's stand and sing Great is Thy Faithfulness together. I call out 
your singing. Furnace is running and you got a tooth comb. It's so I don't play with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it already. So. <laughs> well, morning, everyone. It's frosty this morning. We have to be remembered, well, blessed we are. I mean, our hot water heater crapped out today. I don't know if it's just electronics or what happened and downstairs grumbling about this thing that's uh, only a few years old and and just kind of getting buried in that and then yet the furnace is running beside and then you think, hey, wait a minute. The furnace is running, we'll be okay. Laura Lee equated the shower into a Honduran shower for those of them that know what that's like, so. A little chilly, so we know what we're doing this afternoon. So, um, Our call to worship, I guess uh, we're just saying that together, so uh, you guys can drown me out, please. So uh, you see it there in the bulletin, it's Psalms 59, verse 16. But as for me, I shall sing of thy strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of thy loving kindness in the morning. For thou hast been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. I'll open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, uh, we just give thanks that we got this warm building with a furnace running um, and that we're able to meet here today. And, and for those that are uh, watching from home, we just pray for them and that they're in the uh, warm building and uh, how blessed we are in this country. And uh, for those outside of the country that may be listening, uh, we just pray for them as well. And just to pray for uh, Glenn's word and uh, that uh, he uh, knows what to say and uh, that we all pick it up. And we just pray for the rest of the week and uh, the rest of the day that we'll be able to stay warm. In your name we pray. Amen. Henry. Good morning. I have a similar story. I woke up to frozen water pipes. So I had to get the hairdryer out and blow it out. And Anyway, it's all good. So this morning I'm reading Genesis 50, verse 1 to 26. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the, sorry, the, so the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I'm about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him the dignitaries of his court, and all the dignitaries of Egypt. Besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household, only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen, sorry, horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor, of a tad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of a tad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizram. So Jacob's son did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from 
Ephron the Hittite. Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his mothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before I did. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sin and the wrong they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of so many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will, prov I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Makir, son of Manasseh, also the children of Makir, son of, oh sorry, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear, on, swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, after all the embalm, after, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Thanks, Penny. So, this will be the second Sunday where we're going to do this kids trivia quiz thing. So, all you kids, I hope you got the trivia quiz pay. There's some at the back there. I hope you picked one up. Uh, last Sunday was kind of a learning experience. There were a few glitches, but I think uh, we learned from that, or maybe I learned from that, and hopefully we'll go a little better <laughs> today. Um, So again, we're going to do like we did last Sunday. There's there's uh, ten questions this time instead of eight. Uh, there's five of them that I think are a little easier, and there's five that are a little harder. And so we'll have ages ten and under. If you get five right, you'll get a prize. Uh, ages sixteen and under, if you get them all right, you get a prize. And so that's how it's going to go. And we're going to make a, a, just a couple clarifications here. Kids, listen up, kids. You are not allowed to ask your parents for the answers. <laughs> That's not allowed. That's cheating. If your parents give you the answers, your parents get the chocolate bar. Okay? <laughs> so, so don't do that. <laughs> and secondly, when we come to the end of the service, when we uh, when we give up, when I give out the answers, and you will see how many you got right, you have to give your paper to somebody else to mark. Okay? So Emily. When we mark it, you have to give it to your dad or somebody to make sure you got them right. You can't mark your own paper, is what I'm saying. So give it to your mom or your dad or somebody beside you or whatever <laughs> to see how you did. <laughs> okay, as we go, let's, uh, let's just pray again and ask God's guidance. Lord God, this is uh, your word to us again. And help us, Lord, just to forget about all that for a second and, and, uh, and just know that this is your word to us and you're speaking to us. And help us to hear what you have for us from this. Help me, Lord, to speak it as it needs to be spoken, uh, the way you intended it to be spoken, and help us to be open to what you're saying. We pray in your name. Amen. Faith is important. We all know that. Faith is, is key. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 6, For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's 
is a rewarder of those who seek him. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Apostle Paul says. So faith is important. It's vital. You can't get anywhere without it. But just as important, or perhaps even more so, is where that faith is placed. What do you have faith in? Because no matter how strong your faith is, if it's placed in the wrong thing or the wrong person, it could be disastrous. Years ago when my family would all attempt to go back home to the farm for Christmas, uh, something kind of humorous happened that, that illustrates this. It wasn't disastrous. It was just funny. But it illustrates what I'm talking about. We were all married and had kids, and so we'd all bring the Christmas goodies and food items that we could so that Mom wouldn't have to do so much for the Christmas meal. So this one Christmas, we got home, and others, some others of the family were already there. Some were still to come. Uh, but Mom, of course, was just excited to have us all home, and she was excited for all these Christmas goodies that were appearing with each family that got there. And so when we got there... Uh, we, we had all these containers, along with other containers from other families, of Christmas goodies or baking. And uh, Mom, excited about it, she just had to sample, sample it all right away. So we arrived, and at, the time, at that time, we had a little house dog named Missy. Uh, some of you remember that little dog that we used to have. And so we had an ice cream pail of her dog food with us. <laughs> you know those little tiny nuggets that they make for these little tiny useless smuts? <laughs> And that pail came in with us for the rest of our stuff and got temporarily set on the table and with the other containers of goodies. Well, my mom, she just had to sample everything. So her eyesight at that point was starting to deteriorate a bit. And uh, so she assumed that this was this people puppy chow snack that she had had before. She really liked it. <laughs> and so she saw that and she exclaimed, oh, I love this stuff. And she grabbed some and put it in her mouth. And <laughs> Well, luckily I noticed what was happening. I said, Mom, that's dog food for Missy. <laughs> so she spit it out before she did too much chewing. And we all had a good laugh at her expense. <laughs> but she really believed that what was in that ice cream pail was a delicious snack of Christmas goodies. She believed that with all her heart. Her faith was strong that it was people puppy chow. <laughs> but it wasn't. And her faith was wrongly placed. It turned out to be funny and not disastrous, but you see how wrongly placed faith can be very disastrous. Just For example, a couple years ago, we were hearing about kids eating these tied laundry soap pods. Uh, and the kids, full faith, said it was candy. <laughs> but their faith was placed in the wrong thing, and sometimes disastrous results from that. We're coming today to the last chapter in the book of Genesis. And we come today to an end of our series on Genesis. We've been in this book now for, I didn't count, but it ought to be close to three years, uh, taking, of course, breaks now and then for special occasions. This series has shown us how everything got started, from the creation of the universe to the beginning of mankind to the entrance of sin into the world to the flood at Noah's time, which reshaped the entire planet and gave us much of what we see in the world today. We've seen God's great plan of salvation to save mankind from the penalty of sin and to make that salvation available to us. We see the, saw that begin to unfold, starting with God's call of Abraham and the covenant God made with Abraham and his descendants. So that's all been covered in this series as we've gone through Genesis. Chapter 50 of Genesis records for us the funeral and burial of Jacob, who was the father of 12 sons. You remember? It would be the descendants of these 12 sons who would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see in this chapter Jacob's death, his funeral and burial, and then we see Joseph's last words to his brothers, and then finally Joseph's death, and that brings the book of Genesis to a close. So again, let's go through the text of this chapter, and then we'll look at the application. Chapter 50 and verse 1. Upon Jacob's death, it tells us Joseph fell on his father's face 
kissed him, wept for him, and then he gave orders to his physicians to embalm him. Now, Egypt did have official embalmers. That's where this art of embalming originated, obviously, in Egypt. That's why when you go to Egypt and look in the pyramids, you see these mummies of, that they, they, they were embalmed, of these, of these ancient kings, ancient pharaohs. They did have official embalmers, but it says here that Joseph got the physicians to embalm his father's body. And from what little I could discover in my researching this, uh, physicians were a little more meticulous in the embalming procedure, did a little better job of it, and the embalmers likely had a lot of pagan and spiritist rituals that went along with their, when they did the embalming, went along with the process. So maybe that's why Joseph got the physicians to do it and not the official embalmers. The embalming procedure took 40 days to complete. And I take it while this was going on, the official mourning period of 70 days was observed for Jacob. 70 days. And that's interesting as well. The mourning period for a pharaoh who died was 72 days. So we see just how respected Joseph was that a period of 70 days was observed for Joseph's father. Almost not quite, but almost equivalent to a death of a pharaoh. After those 70 days were completed, Joseph had a request to ask of Pharaoh. And I find this interesting as well. Look in there, verse 4 and following. Uh, Joseph didn't go directly to Pharaoh to make this request. He talked to Pharaoh's staff and asked them to make this request to Pharaoh on his behalf. And I find that interesting. And from the story that has been laid out for us in the past 10 chapters or so, we kind of get the idea that Joseph and Pharaoh had gotten pretty tight, pretty close to each other. Joseph was second only to Pharaoh in ruling all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh had put him in charge of managing the seven years of plenty, followed by the seven years of extreme famine, and getting the nation through that 14-year period. And not only Egypt, but essentially the surrounding nations as well. And we've always got the feeling, at least I have, that they were pretty close, Pharaoh and Joseph. So why couldn't Joseph go directly to Pharaoh and ask about burying his father? Well, we're not told, so there's really no way of knowing. One commentator speculated that for this occasion, Joseph wished to associate himself fully with his family as the head of his family, because Joseph now is the head of his family. He got the birthright, remember? We looked at that last week or a week before. Uh, he got the birthright and the double blessing, and he was now in charge, uh, the leader of the family after Jacob's death. So maybe he wanted to associate himself fully with the family uh, rather than approach Pharaoh from his position as minister or prime minister of Egypt. And that's interesting speculation. Maybe, maybe right. Or maybe it just shows again that as high as Joseph was and as highly as he was respected by all, Pharaoh was still very much Pharaoh. <laughs> and Joseph was still very much second in command. So, I don't know, those are just a couple of speculations. At any rate, Pharaoh readily gave his permission to Joseph's request, and that request was to, for permission to go back to Canaan to bury his father Jacob in the family burial place in Canaan. His father had requested that, and Joseph would like permission to go and do that. And like I said, Pharaoh readily gave permission. So that's what they did. And again, I find verse 7 and following interesting. And it's a huge funeral procession from Egypt all the way back to Canaan. I can understand Joseph's family all wanting to go, which they did, except for the little ones. But there's also a large representation of Egyptians that went along. Pharaoh's servants, the elders of the land of Egypt, that's likely referring to the leading statesmen, if you like, of the land of Egypt, they all went too, and I find that remarkable. Again, I think it points to just a huge amount of respect and love the Egyptians had for Joseph. Yet all these statesmen joined in this funeral procession for Jacob's burial all the way back to Canaan. Big procession. Many chariots and horsemen, verse 9 tells us. Verse 10 and 11 is a little bit of an aside uh, to give us some historical background. At this certain place near the Jordan River, the procession stopped. Uh, it, it was called the threshing floor of Atad. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce that word or not. But, uh, and there they observed another seven-day mourning period for Jacob with great sorrowful lamentations. 
So much so that the Canaanites who lived there commented there in verse 11, boy, this sure is a grievous morning for these Egyptians. And thus that place was named Abel Mizraim, which means morning of Egypt. The <clears throat> morning of Egypt. So that was just a historical aside. That, that location too is unknown to us today. But obviously when Moses was writing this, it was known, and Moses is giving his readers a historical aside explaining how that particular place got its name. So where that is today, we aren't sure. It's been lost. But uh, that was just a historical aside. Morning of the Egyptians. So they carried on, and they buried Jacob in that cave, same one that Abraham and Sarah were buried in, the same one that Isaac and Rebekah were buried in. Uh, also Jacob's wife Leah was buried there. And there they buried Jacob with them. And then after that, they all returned to Egypt. They got back to Egypt, and then again, something strange happened. Joseph's brother apparently got to thinking, and got to wondering, what if Joseph is still holding a grudge against us for what we did to him so many years ago? What if he just hold himself in check for dad's sake, and now that dad is gone, he's going to get back out of us, he's going to get his revenge. So they really got scared about this, and so they sent a message to Joseph. They didn't go directly, they sent a message. And the message was, verses 16 and 17, Your father charged us before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin for what they did, for, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father, Now, I, I, this is just me, but I doubt very much that Jacob ever said such a thing to those brothers of Joseph's. Maybe he did, but from what I've seen as the story has played out, I don't get the feeling that that would have happened. If anything, Jacob would have pleaded directly to Joseph to forgive the brothers. He wouldn't have sent that message to, through the brothers. So I think the brothers are using their father's memory to try to influence Joseph. At any rate, Joseph received the message, and the end of verse 17 tells us that he just wept in response to that. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? Were they thinking that he hadn't forgiven them? And I think what this shows is that these brothers still had not forgiven themselves. And thus, they're suspicious that Joseph hadn't forgiven them either. That's common. People who can't forgive themselves have a lot of trouble accepting forgiveness from others and believing others have forgiven them. They struggle with that. Verse 18. At that point, the brothers do actually come into Joseph, Joseph's presence, and they fall on their faces in front of them and of Joseph, and they said, we're your servants. They're ready to take the role of servitude under their brother Joseph. And Joseph's response to them is just remarkable. There's nothing but forgiveness and love in Joseph's response to his brothers. Verses 19 to 21. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph isn't God. It isn't Joseph's place to take revenge or to make the brothers pay for their sins. That's God's job. We see that repeated in the scriptures more than once. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay God, that's God's job. And yes, they meant to harm Joseph, but God used that and turned that for good. And Joseph was saying to them, look around you, brothers of mine. You and all your families have been saved from that famine that likely would have killed you all. You're here in Egypt with me. You're doing well. God used that. What you did, that evil you meant, he used that to bring about what we're seeing now. So don't be afraid, brothers. 
I'll provide for you. I'll provide for your families. Joseph spoke kindly to them, and I think he managed to put their fears to rest. Now, as I said, Joseph had been given the birthright and the double blessing. Joseph is now responsible for taking care of the family, and he assured his brothers that he would do just that. And so the chapter in the book ends with the information that the whole family continued living on in Egypt. Joseph lived long enough to see his great-grandchildren from both Ephraim and Manasseh. The time came for Joseph to die. But before he did, he told his brothers that God would surely bring them out of Egypt and back to the land of Canaan. Joseph never forgot that covenant, and he lived accordingly. God would at some point in the future bring them out of Egypt and back to Canaan, the promised land. And when that happened, Joseph requested that they take his bones with them so that he could be buried there in the land of Canaan, the promised land. He made his brothers promise. And they did. They did promise. Even though unknowing to them, it wouldn't be happened until well over 200 years later. So Joseph died and was embalmed, and that's the end of the chapter. And that's the end of Genesis. The lessons that come out of this chapter are about faith. And not just faith, but where to place our faith. So let's look at them. We as Christians need to understand the importance of faith and where to place our faith. And a study of the examples in Genesis 50 of where to place our faith will help us to grow in this understanding. <clears throat> so just two that I want to bring out. There's probably a lot more in the Bible, but in this chapter, I see two that I would like to bring out. Number one, faith in God's providence. Faith in God's providence. Providence. God's providence. God is in control. And God is certainly great enough to use any person he wants or any circumstance he wants, or any course of action anyone here on earth may take, God is great enough to use that, or use them, to accomplish his purposes and his plan for this world and for us as his people. God is sovereign. He reigns. He is in control. That, in essence, is what God was saying, or Joseph was saying to his brothers in verses 19 to 21. Am I in the place of God, Joseph asked? Isn't it, it isn't up to me to make people pay for their sins. That's God's job. You have nothing to fear from me. As for what you did, Joseph was saying to his brothers, yeah, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Look how God took that and used that to save the lives of so many people. Our whole family was saved because of it. God is in control. And he used what you did to bring about the conditions that made it possible for the whole family to be saved. So we see here in Joseph an example of faith in the providence or the sovereignty of God. We need to follow that example. Our faith needs to be placed in God and his providence. God is in control, friends. He really is. He knows what he is doing. Have faith in that. If there ever was a time when we as Christians need to hear this, it's now. Between this pandemic and the fallout from it and the bizarre political goings-on that we're in the middle of, it has so many Christians frantically running all over the place and bumping into each other, totally controlled by their fears and their suspicions of hidden motives and hidden agendas and ulterior motives and saying we need to stop this, we need to take a stand against that, we need to not let authorities push us around, and on and on and on it goes. And I think we as Christians need to stop and think and remember where to place our faith. God is in control. Yes, there may be hidden agendas and ulterior motives, but God is in control. They may mean it for evil, but God can use it for good. 
And God will use us to accomplish his purposes. God is in control. We are not. And we shouldn't try to be. As Joseph said, am I in the place of God? No, and neither are we. It isn't up to us to make people pay for their evil deeds. We need to leave that in God's hands. Have faith in the providence of God, friends. He is sovereign. He is in control. We need to let him be sovereign and in, be in control. God has already told us what he wants from us. We looked at that in our New Year's service. He wants us to live godly lives in light of the knowledge that he's bringing the world to an end. Our response to that is we need to live godly lives and not be sucked in by those who get themselves sidetracked and off course. Live godly lives and do the job God has called us to do. What's the job God has called us to do? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, it says in Matthew 28. That's what Jesus wants us to be doing. Bringing the gospel to those around us. Things may well be coming to an end. It could well be. So knowing that, we need to get the gospel out to the people in our lives, the people around the world. Have faith in the providence of God. He is in control. We need to do what he has called us to do and focus on that and leave the rest up to him. If we have faith in God's providence, we can do that. He's in control. And Joseph, Joseph left us a great example of that. Secondly, faith in God's promises. Faith in God's promises. Look in here at verse 24 to 26. Joseph lived to be 110 years old. And if my math is correct, that means that he lived another 54 years after his father Jacob died. He came to Egypt, you remember, when he was 17. So he's been in Egypt now 93 years. You could say he's pretty much Egyptian through and through. And looked at, in that sense, Egypt was very much Joseph's home. And that's why his last words to his brothers are, are worth taking note of. Verse 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. What an example of living by faith in God's promises. Even though Egypt was his home for 93 years, Joseph never forgot God's covenant with his forefathers starting with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to Joseph and the rest of Jacob's sons, that he would make of them a great nation with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. He would give them the land of Canaan as their homeland, and through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was God's covenant. That was God's promise to them. Joseph never lost sight of that. He never forgot about God's promises to him and to them as a family. Egypt wasn't their home. Canaan was. And Joseph fully believed that God would at some point in the future bring them out of Egypt and back to Canaan. And so he makes the request that when God brings them out of Egypt to the promised land that they bring his bones with them. He wants to be buried in Canaan in his homeland. He knew it was going to happen. His faith in the promise of God was that strong. And because of that, he made this request regarding his bones. What an example Joseph leaves for us. As we've gone through Genesis, we've seen Joseph grow to be just a giant of a man. He went through many trials, so many hardships, but through that, so many victories. We saw a man with high standards and who lived by those standards. He could interpret dreams. He was a man in whom was the spirit of the Lord, we're told. For the last 75 odd years of his life, he ruled the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. 
you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11 for a bit. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you something. Verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter, Hebrews 11, some have called, called it God's Hall of Fame. Those of you who are sports buffs, you know about, hall, about halls of fame. This is God's hall of, hall of Fame, if you like, Hebrews chapter 11. To get into God's Hall of Fame, you have to demonstrate a remarkable faith. Verse 2 tells us that's how we gain God's approval, is by our faith. Joseph made it into this chapter of God's Hall of Fame. Of all that Joseph did and all that Joseph accomplished, all the victories that he won, what was it that got Joseph into God's Hall of Fame? Or Hall of Faith, maybe more accurate. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel, and he gave orders concerning his bones. <laughs> there you go. That was a remarkable expression of faith in God's promises. And that got noted in scriptures for all eternity. Friends, God is pleased when we trust him and demonstrate our confidence in him and in his promises by the way we live. We need to live by faith in God's promises. And he has given us as Christians so many promises. Promises to guide us and to direct our paths. Promises to protect us. Promises to supply all of our needs. Promises to work all things out for good to those who love him. Promises to never leave us or forsake us. Promises to conform us to the image of his son. Promises to give us a home with him in heaven for all eternity. Great promises. A home in heaven with him for all eternity. Let's think about that one. Because I think it has parallels here to what we're seeing in Genesis 50. Friend, don't allow yourself to get caught up and comfortable in this world and in the things of this world. This world's only temporary. God may bring it to an end sooner than we think. Just like Egypt was only temporary for Joseph and his family, this world is only temporary for us. We are here for the time God gives us to live for him and to bring the gospel to those around us and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Our real home, our promised land, is the new heaven and the new earth. And that's where our focus should be. God has promised to get us out of this world and to bring us to our promised land. And we need to live by faith in that promise. And in all the promises of God, Joseph left us another tremendous example here. Our faith needs to be placed in the promises of God. If God promised it, he will do it. And that's where we need to place our faith. So therefore, we see from this chapter a couple of great examples from Joseph about where our faith should be placed. They are, number one, in God's providence. He is in control. He can work things for good to his glory. He can take what people mean for evil and bring good out of it. He is sovereign. We need to place our faith in that. And then secondly, in God's promises. God has given us as Christians so many promises. Many of them concerning life here on this earth. But coming together in his greatest promise, that of eternal life with him in heaven for eternity. Friends, if God promises something, he will do it. And we need to place our faith in that. Can we follow the examples of Joseph? Place our faith in the right person, our sovereign God, and place our faith in the right things, his providence and his promises. Let's take our moment of silence. And just open your heart to what God is saying to you personally this morning. What was the word this morning just for you and where you're at in your own life right now? And just take some time to listen to what God is saying.
Thank you for your singing. Thanks, music team. Time for prison prayer. Anybody have anything that you'd like to request prayer for, or something maybe you might not publicly praise God for? Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. So good, Lord God, to be able to gather together the body of believers. And uh, well, I want to praise you for that, Lord. It's uh, on one hand we can be incredibly frustrated and discouraged by the guidelines that are being forced on us and, and limiting our numbers and uh, having to go with sign up and we can't all be together at the same time. And we can look at it that way, or we can say, Lord God, you are allowing us to be together, and maybe not all at the same time, but we're still here, and uh, we can still worship you together as a body. We can listen to your word together. We can unite our hearts together in prayer as a body. And we just want to thank you for that. Lord, these things that were mentioned here this morning, we just pray you have your hand on each one. Think of Irene's sister. She's fighting shingles. Lord, uh, from what I've heard, it can be a very, very painful thing. Lord, how I pray that you would be with her. I give her your strength to bear up under the pain and to look to you, to lean on you. And of course, Lord, the grieving of the loss of your mother, Lord, I just ask that you would have your hand on it. And Lord, as Irene also said, Lord, we want to praise you for the kids. And, uh, thank you, Lord. For the kids that are part of our church family, they're all our special and mean a lot to all of us. And uh, we just pray you to have your hand on it. Pray for Penny's family as they're driving to Edmonton this afternoon in the cold weather. Pray that their vehicle would work well without any issues in the cold weather. Give them safety as they travel. And I pray that uh, be a good time that Penny can have with Austin. I haven't seen him for since July. And so, Lord, I pray you give him a, a good a good visit, a good time together. And uh, give him safety as they travel back home as well. Thank you for Penny as well. Has a birthday coming up, Lord. We just want to thank you for giving her another year. And I just pray your blessing on her as she goes forward. And uh, and I just we just all want to thank you for her. Pray for Marvin's grand. Uh, daughter and grandson flying out uh, in a few weeks here, or next week, I guess, or a couple weeks, and I pray that you would give them safety as they come out. Pray it would be a great visit together and a great time to get to know their, their grandson a little better and uh, visit with their daughter. So, Lord, just have your hand on them as well. We're going to pray for Bonnie's uh, mom and dad. Uh, Lord, you know that Bonnie's mom is in long-term care now, and uh, I don't know if she's place yet or not, but Lord, I pray that you would just be close to her, and may she know your presence with her, and even though her mind may not be clear, how I pray that by your, by the Holy Spirit, communication with her spirit, that you would just remind her of your presence, that you're with her, and that she would be at peace with you, and be at peace with her situation, and, and just lean on you and walk with you. Pray for Bonnie's dad, Lord, as he's making the adjustments. Um, living alone now, without uh, having to take care of his 
loneliness can, can be hard. And so, Lord, I pray you be close to him. Give him your strength to bear up under this. Help him, Lord, to know that you are with him at all times and uh, just to feel your presence there at all times. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray you be with you and the family through this difficult road in their life and continue to walk with them. Pray for Rocky Underhill. Lord, we uh, just pray that uh, as he goes through this stem cell transplant procedure that... Uh, You'd give them the strength for that. Lord, in some ways it seems like they almost have to kill him to do this. But uh, I pray, Lord, his body would be strong enough for this whole procedure and that the stem cell transplant would be effective and uh, that cause healing to his liver. And uh, Lord, now on top of everything, he's fighting shingles as well. I really pray, Lord, that you would give him strength for that and also touch his body with healing to clear up those shingles. I pray for our youth group and thank you, Lord, for the kids that we've had out uh, in the different numbers each Friday, but Lord, always a good number. We just thank you so much for the opportunity we as a church have to minister to those kids. Many of them community kids, they're not church kids. Lord, how I pray that they would hear the gospel and they would respond to it and open their hearts to it and that would spread from them to their whole family. Lord, be with Chris and Bonnie and Sean and Curtis leadership to that. I pray you give them strength for each week. And Lord, it's always difficult after a hard week at work and then come here and put out a lot Friday night for those kids. So Lord, I pray you give them the strength, physically, emotionally, spiritually, to do that. And, uh, we just thank you for them and pray your blessing on them for that. Lord, I want to thank you for allowing us to be here today and we just leave all these things in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Corey. Ties and offerings. Um, it's too bad we're not uh, able to do that. You know, make the young people walk up and down and take money from their grandparents and whatnot, and, and we get to do something good with it. Um, but uh, the nice, pretty boxes on the side there. So we've all been blessed um, uh, considerably. So uh, I'll uh, just uh, offer a word of praise for that and bow our heads. Dear Lord, we just uh, give thanks. Uh, for the abundance that you give us and uh, the, the blessings that we don't deserve and we just uh, ask that uh, the, those that can will and uh, just be able to uh, give financially and that we are able to use that uh, with how you want us to use it Lord. Uh, we just pray for that and for the week and uh, for those that are uh, able to work and uh, go out and still see people we just pray for them and for those that are at home um, we just pray for them as well as they work from home and offices and whatnot. Um, we just pray for them as well. In your name we pray. Amen. Announcements, they're in the bulletin there. Um, I guess the big one is uh, just the annual general meeting. Um, that's the big one this time of year. Uh, is there anything else to add to that? Anybody else got a hot water heater or, you know, frozen pipes or want to announce it right now? No? And that's it. I guess Pastor Glenn's got the trivia thing going now. <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> Might have to start putting it together on third quiz for the adults. Okay, so kids, give your paper to somebody else. Your parents or your grandparents or your brother or sister or somebody else that you know? <laughs> Here are the answers. Question number one, faith. Question number two, 40 days. Question number three, 70 days. Question number four, Canaan. Question number five, morning of Egypt. <laughs> Need to start over, Chris? <laughs> Question number six, that Joseph would try to get back at them or get revenge or something along those lines. 
Question number seven, Canaan. So there's two, two questions where the answer is Canaan. <laughs> Question number eight, uh, God is in control, God is sovereign, something along those lines. Wording doesn't have to be exact, but <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, number nine, make disciples. Or I'll also take, um, bring the gospel to others or something along those lines as well. Make disciples or share the gospel or bring the gospel along those lines. Number 10, God's promise. God's promise. Okay, so if you are 10 and under, if you are 10 and under and you got five right, you can come to me after the church and get a prize. If you are 16 and under, you have to get all 10 right to get a prize. So 16 and under, 10 right, 10 and under, 5 right. Okay, so after church you can come and see me and I'll, I'll get you a prize. So. Okay. If we can all settle down for a bit, let's go in prayer. <laughs> Lord God, we just want to thank you for being us, with us here today. And Lord, thank you we can be together. Whatever the week holds, Lord, we don't at this point know what it is, but I pray that you would, that you would uh, just guide us through this week and help us, Lord, to uh, just live it. Live this week in light of what you told us here this morning. We pray in your name.